Section 140 of China, Japan, and the Islands of the Pacific. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sandra. The World's Story, Volume 1, China, Japan, and the Islands of the Pacific. Edited by Eva March Tappan. Section 140. A Visit to a Headhunter of Borneo by William Henry Furness III. Borneo is the fifth largest island in the world. Even now only a comparatively small portion of it has been explored, although Portugal, Spain, Holland and England have all had commercial interests in the country. The northern part is now under an English protectorate. The southern is governed by the Dutch, through the native chiefs. The Editor Aben Avid sat beside us, and while we were filling our pipes, he produced from the baboo box, hanging at his side, some tobacco and some of that beautifully dried leaf of the wild banana, cut from the heart of the plant before the leaf is unfurled. In unskilled hands, it hairs like wet tissue paper, but in Aben Avid's, a tapering, symmetrical cigarette, eight inches long, was skilfully rolled on his thigh. A circle of small boys squatted around us, their bright little eyes watching our every movement as intently as we stare at the actions of some strange animal in a zoological garden. If we struck a match, or sneezed, or buttoned our coats, or wiped our faces with a handkerchief, dilated eyes and open mouths attended the action with rapt interest. A few men sat near their chief, and now and then murmured comments to one another in their native tongue, which we did not fully understand, but could guess from the direction of their eyes that we were the subject of their conversation. The evening duties of the household were not, however, interrupted on our account. Men with bundles of dried firewood on their shoulders, women staggering under a load of bamboo joints filled with water and stacked in hampers on their backs, were constantly passing by us treading heavily and making the loose boards of the floor clatter and rattle as they plodded their weary way to the apartments for a time there was almost a constant succession of canoes coming to the landing-place bringing back the workers from the rice clearings the women all bending under full hampers some with fresh uncurled fern fronds and the sprouts of a variety of large canna which they stew with rice to add variety to their diet some with bundles of the young banana leaf whereof to make cigarette wrappers and others with wild tapioca and wild yams each one carried her own light paddle in one hand and the large round and flat sunhat in the other none of them glanced to right or left but made her way direct to her family room and like a ghost faded into the darkness through the small doorway after them followed the men dangling their parangs in one hand and trailing their blowpipes and spears in the other they too looked fixedly ahead until they had hung up their parangs and stuck their spears perpendicularly into a rafter so that the shaft should be kept straight this done they joined the group round the fire or went down to the river to bathe at the far end of the house some young fellows were playing mournful tunes on the kaluri and its organ-like notes were wafted fitfully down to us now and then a baby's wail chimed in and then 
was quieted by the mother's crooning lullaby beneath the house the contented grunting of pigs and the clucking of chickens denoted that these omen givers had returned from their foraging in the jungle and had sought the shelter of home for the night thus we sat as twilight faded in eben avid's veranda in the home of these people whereof every detail made up their familiar commonplace life the only life from cradle to grave that they had ever known or would know while we by their side were aliens from a world twelve thousand miles away from a country that they had never heard of and of a race which many of them had never seen before we were in the very heart of the bornean jungle guests in the house of a barbarous savage and bloodthirsty head-hunter but these terms when applied at that moment to our host what misnomers could contrast be more emphatic than the perfect peacefulness of our surroundings and the thought that a man as benignant and hospitable as aben avid should cherish as his highest aim in life to add every year to that cluster of human heads hanging from the rafters just above us and gently swaying in the heat ascending from the flames is it conceivable that this gentle-hearted man and his circle of good-humoured friends could take pride and pleasure in recognising and rehearsing the slashes and gashes borne by each head the long gash there on the left side of that skull showing through the piece of old casting net was made by tamalohong's parang the very one with carved wooden handle that he carries to this day the owner of the next skull was fishing when he fell a victim to the stealthy thrust from apoy's spear this small one is that of a young girl who tried to escape from the rear of the house when they burned out those madangs way over near the rejang river thus they can enumerate them all chief and slave man woman girl and boy it all seemed so at variance with aben avid's genial courteous hospitality that i wondered if it were possible to look at these skulls through his eyes and to sympathize with his thrill of pride and exultation in them i waited until aben avid had his cigarette fairly rolled and lit and then trying not to appear in the least antagonistic lest i should fail to elicit his genuine feeling i asked o oh, sabila blood brother why is it that all you people of kalamantan kill each other and hang up these heads in the land i come from such a thing is never known i fear that it would be ill spoken of there indeed perhaps thought quite horrible what does aben avid think of it he turned to me in utter absolute surprise at first with eyes half closed as doubting that he heard aright and letting the smoke curl slowly out of his mouth for a moment he then replied with unwonted vehemence no tuan no the custom is not horrible it is an ancient custom a good beneficent custom bequeathed to us by our fathers and our fathers fathers it brings us blessings plentiful harvests and keeps off sickness and pains those who were once our enemies hereby become our guardians our friends our benefactors but i interrupted how does aben avid know that these dried heads do all this don't you make it an excuse just because you like to shed blood and to kill hatuan you white man had no great chief like tokong 
to show you what was right. Haven't you ever heard the story of Tokong and his people? He was Raja of the Sibops, and the father of all the Kayans, and lived long, long, long ago. I was not acquainted with the story of Tokong, so I begged him to relate it. Then, squatting on the floor with his forearms slightly resting on his knees, and his hands dangling in front of him, he meditatively relit his cigarette, and gazing lovingly up at the cluster of skulls, began. It was in the old, old days, long before the government came here. By the government, I mean our Tuan Raja Brook. It happened that on a time, the descendant of the heaven-born Katira Murai, Tokong, and his men of the Sibop tribe, were on an expedition downriver to punish a household of thieves who had stolen their crop of rice the year before and had chased Tokong's women and children from the jungle clearings. It was the time of year when the fields had just been planted and before the rice had sprouted. So Tokong took out his warriors to teach these thieves that this year there should be no more stealing. When they had gone down river to the great bamboo clump where they had to cross through the jungle, they drew their canoes up to the bank and, with Tokong leading, started on their stealthy march. When the eye of day looked straight down at them over their heads, they rested on the bank of a small stream which ran round that great rock. Perhaps to one you have seen it. We call it Batu Kusieng, near the headwaters of the Belaga and Tinjar rivers. They had cooked and eaten, and drawn out the pegs of wood whereon their rice pots rested, and Raja Tokong was slipping his head through his war coat and girding on his parang, when he heard, coming from under the great rock, a squeaking, croaking voice, uttering, Wonkakok tetabatok. Footnote Aben Avid did not translate this, and I believe it is ancient Kayan retained for its onomatopoeic sound. End of footnote. He paused, and turning round to listen to the voice, saw a large frog with its young ones about it, sitting just under the edge of the rock. Greetings to you, cop, frog, said the Raja. What is the meaning of your croaking? And cop replied, Alas, what fools you sibops are! You go out to battle and kill men, but you take back with you to ornament your shields only their hair, whereas, did you but know it, if you took the whole head, you would have blessings beyond words. In sooth, you heavy-livered people know not how to take a head. Look here, and I will show you. This spoke Cop, and straightway seized one of his little ones, and with one stroke of his parang, cut off its head. Tokong was exceedingly angry at the impudence and the cruelty of the frog, and paying no further attention to it, ordered his men to advance at once. But some of the older men among them could not help thinking that perhaps Cop spoke the truth, and that night, while they sat round the fire, holding a council of war over the attack on the enemy's house, close at hand, they urged Tokong to allow them to follow the frog's advice. At first Tokong, still very angry because Cop had called the Sibops fools and heavy-livered, refused, but finally, seeing that many of his best men were in favour of it, he granted their request. Next morning, when the sky began to turn grey, and the birds in the trees were just waking up, the Sibops, noiselessly, carried armfuls of bark and grass, and placed them beneath the thieves' house, 
and set fire to them and the flames ran quickly everywhere out rushed the men and women some jumping into the flames others trying to slide down the house posts but all were met with slashes and stabs from the swords and spears of tokong's men many were killed that day and the heads of three were cut off and carried away by tokong's party who retreated at once and almost before they knew it were at the landing-place on the river to their great amazement they found their boats all ready and launched no sooner were they seated than the boats began to move off of their own accord right upstream in the direction of home it was a miracle the current of the stream changed and ran uphill as it does at flood-tide at the mouth of a river they almost immediately reached the landing-place close to their house and were overjoyed to see that the crops planted only fifteen days before had not only sprouted but had grown had ripened and were almost ready for the harvest in great astonishment they hurried to the clearings and up to their house there they found still greater wonders those who were ill when the party set out were now well the lame walked and the blind saw raja tokong and all his people were convinced on the spot that it was because they had followed Cop's advice, and they vowed a vow that ever afterward the heads of their enemies should be cut off and hung up in their houses. This is the story of Raja Tokong, Tuan. We all follow his good example. These heads above us have brought me all the blessings I have ever had. I would not have them taken from my home for all the silver in the country. He turned to appeal to his people sitting near, and they as many as understood malai nodded their heads glancing from him to us and murmuring betul betul tis true tis true he paused to get an ember out of the glowing heap of ashes to light his cigarette again which had become much crumpled during the narration of raja tokong's first head-hunt and after he had it once more in shape i asked him if he would not regard it as somewhat of an inconvenience if his own head were to be cut off just to bring blessings to an enemy's house to one he replied i do not want to become dead any more than i want to move from where i am if my head were cut off my second self would go to bulun matai the fields of the dead where beyond the doubt i should be happy the dayongs tell us and surely they know that those who have been brave and have taken heads as i have will be respected in that other world and will have plenty of riches when i die my friends will beat the gongs loud and shout out my name so that those who are already in balloon matai will know that i am coming and meet me when i cross over the stream on bintang sikopa the great log i shall be glad enough to see them but i don't want to go to-day nor to-morrow his faith seemed immovable but i could not resist the temptation of suggesting a doubt so i asked him what if the dayongs were wrong and there were no bulun matai and that when he stopped breathing he really died and knew no more he answered me almost with scorn for such a doubt tuan nothing really dies it changes from one thing to another the dayongs must be right for they have been to the fields of the dead and come back to tell us all about it don't you feel sorry i asked for those that you kill it hurts badly to be cut by a parang you don't like it and those whom you cut down dislike it as much as you do 
they are no more anxious to go to Apolegan or Longjulan, regions of Bulun Matai, than you are. Ha, Tuan, he replied, with the suggestion of a patronizing chuckle in his voice. You feel just as I did when I was a little boy and had never seen blood. But I outgrew such feelings, as everyone should. End of section 140 End of The World's Story, A History of the World in Story, Song and Art Volume 1, China, Japan and the Islands of the Pacific Edited by Eva March Tappan